Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, strategic thought leadership coach and consultant, and this is episode 55, an interview with Carl Feldman of Hinge Marketing, Artificial Intelligence, and the Visible Expert Revolution, exploring the intersection of AI and marketing, the challenges and opportunities it presents. What this episode will do for you is gain insight into Carl's journey from programming to marketing and how it's possible to pivot and succeed in the field of professional services marketing. Discover the importance of bridging storytelling with the technical side of marketing and how this can create a unique thought leadership position. To understand the impact of artificial intelligence on marketing and how it's both a powerful tool and a potential challenge when it comes to maintaining the provenance of your ideas. Explore strategies for building your visibility as a thought leader, even if you're just starting out, and learn about the different expert profiles that can set you apart. To consider the role of experimentation and industry leadership in gaining traction for your thought leadership model and reaching a broader audience. But before we dive more deeply into this episode, in case you're new here, consider that I created the Thought Leadership Studio podcast to help listeners improve their thought leadership skills. So whether or not you consider yourself a thought leader at this point, consider that I've come to the conclusion that the practice of strategic thought leadership is now fundamental to effective marketing and helpful in any area of positive influence. It's about leading an audience to embrace a unique perspective that gives them more value. So this podcast is designed to provide an accelerated training process for which I use my expertise in design human engineering, neurolinguistic programming, systems thinking, and game theory to create a condensed form of learning and I recommend repeated listening for optimum empowerment. And an important part of this is having models of excellence for which I provide interviews of people who excel in one or more areas relevant to strategic thought leadership. And if you're listening on an app, make sure you visit the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. It's linked in the episode description for a summary of the episode with a curated transcript, a story and images, and additional resources and offers, such as the free Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership, free PDF guide, and a free 30-minute brainstorming or discovery session with me in which we can address your thought leadership specifically. In this episode, I interview Carl Feldman, who leads Hinge Marketing's architecture, engineering, and construction marketing practice. 
Carl is also the co-author of the new book, The Visible Expert Revolution. We'll discuss the intersection of artificial intelligence and marketing, as well as the challenges and opportunities it presents. So without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. Thought Leadership Studio. So I'm your host of Thought Leadership Studio, Chris McNeil, and I'm sitting here with Carl Feldman. Carl leads Hinge Marketing's architecture, engineering, and construction practice. Um, he guides clients through the complexities of research, marketing strategy, brand strategy, and high-performance website development. Before joining Hinge, Carl was director of marketing at HIT Contracting, a top 50 general contractor with 700 employees in five offices nationwide. Carl blogs and speaks about professional services marketing and strategy, local and national events for leading associations such as AIA, ACEC, and SMPS. Carl studied computer science at Virginia Tech and lives in Washington, D.C. with his wife and son. Great to have you here, Carl. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Absolutely. And I'm fascinated by some of your background because I understand that you were in programming at one time and then pivoted to marketing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tangled web we weave, right? It's a, I think I've found my home uh, with professional services and working with uh, engineering, architecture, construction firms, and all kinds of technology and uh, consulting professional services, but. Um, yeah, I actually originally, way, way back in the day, I was very interested and motivated to get into commercial or industrial design and dot-com happened. You know, the first, uh, the dot-com revolution happened uh, as I was in school and I said, wow, well, this is natural to me. I can do this uh, and just kind of pivoted into computer science. You know, I, I joke a little bit with uh, you know, folks I work with. I have some of the engineering in my blood, you know, half of, half of my, uh, half of my family are some type of engineers. We have some CPAs mixed in there, but there's a, a certain type of thinking that goes along with that. And I sure. hope that I, you know, tread that balance a little bit. Uh, my wife is a writer. It's like staying at the holiday and you know, creative, more, more language focused, but uh, I really appreciate both worlds. And I think as a entry to our discussion, it is a, fascinating and exciting time that we're living in right now because these things are really coming together. That's right. And we, we talked a little bit before we started recording about the role of AI and how that's changing things. And yeah. I think it's fascinating. You have kind of a foot in both worlds and yeah. I can relate to that. I, I, I've done programming and written software that's gotten some recognition um, and also then pivoted to marketing and the interest to me in part is the, the perception of a lot of business people who may not be marketers themselves, but have to do marketing either they'll be mm -hmm. lucky enough to have a CMO or they'll hire an outside firm if they're a certain size or try to do it internally if they're smaller. And it seems, um, you know, you've got the story side, the storytelling of marketing, the engagement with the marketplace around 
telling your company's story and telling the story of the customer journey and how it's going to impact them. But then you have the technical side of things like search engine optimization, now the integration of artificial intelligence. And some people just seem to perceive it as a technical thing since we have to do it on the web. But how do you bridge that? How did you make that bridge yourself between the storytelling side and the technical side of online marketing? Gosh, that's a, that's a great way to frame it up. Um, and I think it's at a high level, I think what um, what general public is is realizing now is, or or some are realizing, is that there is a a more human layer, uh, an easier to interact with layer that can sit on top of very complex engineering. And I think you know maybe the perspective, and it sounds like you share a little bit of this, having you know background in software development. The level of complexity in these systems is staggering. Right. And, you know, for general public, I think, you know, ChatGPT, that's the one on everybody's mind, OpenAI, everybody's watching what they're doing at Microsoft, are they going to maintain their lead? It really comes down to, and I, I think, I've, you know, I've, I've spent some time in branding and marketing. It's marketing and branding, OpenAI, brilliant. Um, you know, at, at Hinge, We've actually been using tools that, uh, you know, utilize generative AI, machine learning for six, seven plus years in a mature state. We work with partners like Qualtrics where, um, you know, everything from sentiment grading and all of these things, there's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. We've taken a view early on, just like we did with kind of, you know, remote and hybrid work, which is another, you know, trend going on. Think we were probably early adopters, certainly for professional services uh, in that type of work, and it wasn't really um, it wasn't really connected with audiences in a lot of places. We're taking if you look at our content, it's very educational. We're working on it, and we're always thinking about because we're researchers, like data in mind. Sure. Where is the audience? Where do we need to bridge the gap? Because um, even as a business, our focus on professional services, I started in B2C, e-commerce. And, you know, I think that was that was where I first connected the two, the marketing, which is really engineering of audiences, brand, all these things, and direct marketing and e-commerce at a different pace. And then made my way through to business to business, like global brands like Herman Miller, folks like that. And then eventually, you know, it's large general contractors and Hansel Phelps and uh, of the world and you know these guys were we have this massive technology in the background but it's it's all service driven it's all people so i think the connection for me is if you know especially in the kind of complex and very technology driven world whether you see it or not um engineering or understanding the human experience and what is actually valuable and relevant is fascinating to me i just um I mean, I think like like everybody, I'm a complex person. I got lots of different layers and things I enjoy as a as a whole person and all of that. But um, sometimes I wonder. I'm like, people are illogical, right? Professional services, right? You know, people is it uh, can be really confusing sometimes for systems. But I love that challenge. You know, the marketing and understanding you know journeys through different paths um connecting the real world experience with online fascinating to me you know, so you and, got, and i really it's, it's huge 
So you have the deep layer of the technology that enables the mass consumption of media and the, the emergence of communities and yeah. social media. And I don't just mean like an, on a given platform, but across platforms, communities with common interests and common values that might represent a market segment to a particular company. But these psychological dynamics don't fit maybe as easily into the systems view of an engineer who would design a system through logic and software. But then we have the customer. I'm trying to keep this relevant to the listener, no matter who they are, you know, if they're a solopreneur or a, a, a founder, a CEO, marketer or influencer, you know, and when we talk about, but we're all talking about influence. We'll, talk, right. we'll, we'll deal with online influence and building an audience around a message, creating a unique message. Um, but I found sometimes the challenge is to not get too deep into weeds with people who are non-technical when you have to communicate right. the technical side of it to some extent, but not lose focus on this is this is about being human, building an audience around being human too. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, Chris, you're, you're spot on. I mean, we just we practice a little bit of what we preach, especially professional services. We just came out with a, a new book called The Visible Expert Revolution. And one of the, the pieces that I focused on in that book was really connecting, you know, what makes a powerful expert, right? What, what kind of qualities can you focus on and what are the different types of people uh, that are well suited to a different technique to build your visibility as an expert. You mentioned, you know, solopreneurs um, or entrepreneurs at, at large organizations, and both have similar and different paths at the same time. And when you think about it, we're talking about technology and AI, like it or not, there are always these layers and filters in our interaction. And sometimes that can be really powerful and, you know, um, advantageous. If you're using it right, it's also very easy to run afoul of that. And, you know, one of our partners, behavioral scientist, and uh, when we were talking over lunch sometime, and I said, you know, the humans can't keep up with this pace. We're, we're subject to the speed of this engineering. We're all living in this experiment, basically. You talk about social media and the kind of silos and relevance and that type of thing. It's a boon for a marketer. Right. You can see uh, data on a level that is unimaginable 10 years ago. And at the same time, that shifts the will of mass, masses of audiences. And you can talk about misinformation and what's real, what's not real. And we start getting into multimodal AI where, you know, we're talking about uh, written language and video and images. I said in infancy kind of now, but that's going to get sophisticated really fast. So there's there's a bit of catching up for us as humans to do with the tools we've created. You know, when engineers are talking about, we don't really understand exactly why the systems hallucinate in this way. Right. That's a pretty complex system. Yeah, well, these emergent properties that are coming up, and all this yeah. seems to me like we're at a rodeo, and you have this massive bowl of AI that you just release and you thought it was going to do one thing, but it might do something else. You might be in trouble if you're not real skilled at avoiding the bull running through you. Right. I mean, it's, I, I think um, one of the high level practices we preach, because it's, you know, you hear so much about how, what's a responsible way to use AI. Um, and certainly 
you know, there are all kinds, it's, it's kind of like categories of responsible use, right? You know, are you feeding the wrong kind of information into these things that is, um, that's opening up liability? Are you using it in a way that's going to um, create the most impact? And then, you know, what is your intent with these tools? And are you, are you using these technologies as a good co-pilot, you know, versus a, a complete, you know, it's not a replacement for something. You know, what you just mentioned is spot on. It's like, you have to know when it's kind of going off. I mean, one of the main ways we use these tools in a writing capacity that's kind of concrete and easy to understand is it's a devil's advocate. It will represent the norms. Here's, here's what it would be. And that, you know, becomes even more interesting as, you know, open AI is out and grazing on the internet at large, you can see what the median is and that might help inform the human pilot. Hey, this is where we can be different. Here's how we can, we can be relevant and impactful and different from the norm, which that's, is that's powerful. Smart. I love that. And that's very aligned with this. I think it makes a great way of getting a baseline thinking to contrast what in my terminology would be called a thought leadership position, which also makes me fascinated by the name, the visible expert revolution, which seems very aligned with the concept of strategic thought leadership, which is what this yeah. podcast is all about. So what makes someone a visible expert? Well, you know, you may you touched on a, on an important point earlier, uh, the ability to relay something very complex and simple terms. And I, mm -hmm. I remember we were working with one owner of a firm that was acquired by a large software platform. But when they were solo, you know, they worked on finite element analysis, pretty pretty techy stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, there was kind of typical in our world as we're building brand marketing strategies and things. Working especially with technical folks and engineers, one of the most common objections is. I can't write in these general terms. My colleagues will laugh me out of the room. I can't, I can't do that. That's, that's, there's no way I'll damage my career if I speak about it at this, you know, kind of high level. And so it takes, you know, practice, practice, try, see the results, uh, lean into the, you know, kind of data analysis. And I never forget one of the, one of the owners wrote a blog post um, connecting some of the theory and methodology to how a refrigerator works. And as, as close to viral as you can get in the engineering community, it went out and they, they actually landed some major contracts because of that. And then he was a believer. It's, okay, I get it now. It seemed really, and I think he used the actual word, it seemed dumb to me in the beginning, but I get it now. You know, it's, it's connecting connecting something in a way that the most important audience understands. And if you're speaking to C-suite or executives, they're not going to think in the same terms as an engineer would sure. or data science. You know, it's, a, it's a little different. You have to have to be able to bridge these two. And that's something that is um, in some ways uniquely human. These tools can help with that. They can help craft and you know, polish and build these things, but it really does take the direction and intention of a person to understand how how best to do that. Build the co-pilot thing and not yeah. and um, the visible expert as being someone who can maybe use relevant metaphors to bring That's one way a yeah. complex concept to life might be one way. 
And what do you think about AI as proliferating what you might call groupthink? You know, dom the dominant paradigm may not be the right way to go. And something I've noticed, like on Wikipedia, and, you know, upstarts who challenge the dominant paradigm get a horde of guardians of the paradigm in the form of Wikipedia editors who shoot them down and take over the page. And I'm thinking of people like um, Rupert Sheldrake and Graham Hancock, who, you know, whether or not you take their point of view, they're certainly shaking things up and they're worth listening to, yep. but they are minimized on there. And I wonder if, you know, with the with the types of bots that AI uses, I think they're similar to what Google uses to crawl the web, if they could just proliferate groupthink rather than enable innovative, innovative thinking, or is that the opportunity for the visible expert or the thought leader to see that dominant paradigm more clearly and offer a counterpoint to it? Yeah, Chris, I, I think it's both. You know, it's it, when you when you step back from it, it, I'll go back to it's not new. You know, we we have been living in this. It's proliferating on a you know it's accelerated because of the kind of marketing blitz and understanding at large. But even general interest is beginning to wane. Right? You see, uh, OpenAI's traffic starting to dip because okay, well this is novel and interesting, but okay, I'm not really sure how how I'm going to use this best or what have you. Um, you know, when you think about uh, on a broad scale, how how you connect with that, it, it, one of the things that actually someone, I, uh, one of my colleagues at Hinge, who we were talking about this, and I forget how it came up, but I was like, you know, it's the, the ever expanding sea of beige. And you've got the, you know, you hear these wonderful buzzwords like AI cannibalism, right? It's feeding itself. It's feeding its own right, yeah. kind of engine. And they become more, you know, this technology is built to be a sycophant. Like, what do you want to hear? I'll tell you, this is all, it's all response-based. So um, you get some strange distortions that way and it will evolve, uh, but it, it has that, um, that kind of layer of it appears very normal. So I think more and more, and I I have a 12 year old son. And if you ever need like someone to take you down a notch or kind of give you a fresh perspective, you know, 12 year old, pretty good at that. Sure. Uh, when he learned the word hypocrite, you know, was, the world opened up for him. He was happy to point out that, well, you say this, but <laughs> and, yeah. uh, makes you think a little bit, but you know, it'll be interesting to see how the generations that are living through this at an early stage in their career now evolve to filter these things or catch up with and kind of grade that. And I, I think, um, you know, Hinge, I, our working cohort is multi-generational. We have everybody from, you know, fresh out of school all the way to retirement, uh, everything. And it's fascinating as a researcher to understand how these different cohorts use some of these different tools or what is the you know, what's the kind of direction of that? There's areas where the traditional experience really gives a very valuable perspective. And one of the, uh, some of the advice that we, um, we share with firms is you need a cross-functional team to really come up with a powerful strategy. I think from legal, tech, marketing, growth, executive sponsorship to really make the best use because there's operational roles, there's go-to-market strategies, all of these things will be touched in some way. And there's also regulatory. I've, I've heard horror stories of 
folks feeding in sensitive information, not knowing, you know, where this goes, you know, what's, what's the end point for this? Um, that's like a CIO's nightmare. Um, and it, it is happening every day. Um, so you, you need to have, just like in the dawn of social media, we're responding faster to it now because we've kind of had a little bit of that rodeo, but um, you have to have the controls in place, but also be open enough to explore the possibilities because at least in my mind, there's no question it changes the face of how creative work is done, um, how production is done. There, there are so many industries that would be touched by this. It's larger than the dot-com revolution, much more pervasive, but I, I'm not sure that it's as easy to understand how it'll shape, shape yeah. our society. We don't really know. It's an exciting time for sure. Yeah. So from your, and, and bring it to as best I can, um, what can we talk about this relevant to the listener that you can take action mm -hmm. on? If uh, someone wants to get across a new way of looking at an industry, if they want to promote a particular point of view or philosophy about how things are done in their field or profession, how would the best make sure, and you have a lot of experience to talk about this from, um, how would the best maintain provenance over their ideas in this world of AI instead of just having them ingested without pointing back to them. And I'll give you a quick example. If I ask ChatGPT what an idea virus is, it points back to Seth Godin's book and mentions Seth Godin. So that's a great example. If you're big enough you're out and you create a model with proprietary words, it, you can maintain your provenance in this AI world. But somebody is just you know, starting to build an audience and has some unique ideas, how can they maintain provenance and not just give away all their thinking without getting any credit for it? Mm -hmm. I guess uh, in some ways it's a new challenge. In other ways, it's the age old challenge, right? As you get to the tipping point of, you know, visibility, that's really, you know, the book, the whole concept behind visible expertise, it, it follows on that. And it, the path is not the same for everyone. Like speaking directly to audiences, you know, smaller starting up, I've got some unique ideas. How do I go? I think the first thing is understanding what kind of um, profile fits you best as an expert. You know, you have, you know, there, there are different constructs that we came up with to kind of simply uh, identify that sometimes it might be two or three of these in different proportions, but, you know, like a laser uh, type expert that is very focused on a very specific subject matter, uh, a bridge expert that's connecting two things, maybe like we talked about technology and people and marketing and branding, you know, personality, mm -hmm. um, or a contrarian. And you mentioned this also with the uh, Wikipedia. Do yeah. I have something just provocative to say that's different? Um, and I think you know, AI can be a powerful tool. I share that openly. Think of it as a powerful devil's advocate of what is the norm. What would you be? Um, what would you be presenting that is a little differentiated, more original? And I also think it's a reminder that you know, so many folks have said this in so many different ways. There's very little that's truly original. This technology really is a mirror to show anyone that had any illusions about that, how true that is. Um, but the same, at the same time, those distortions around the, the algorithms and rules and 
uh, kind of the, the uh, authority of certain experts, it distorts some of that. You may have an idea that's very close to something, but different and unique and uh, impactful, but the sheer weight of a Seth Godin might just overpower you, right? It's, um, and it's not just, um, I'll, I'll say maybe 10 years ago, a lot of the discussions we were having were you know, educating um, teams on what content marketing was, SEO. Now it's, that's taken for granted, okay, we, we get this, but now it's, that's just one little piece of an integrated uh, visibility plan. So right. understanding what's right for you and where are your differentiating um, elements, that's important and shifting and different depending on your situation. I mean, I'll use um, traditional methods, right? You think of like event, event networking, um, in-person events. You see some pushback to that now because that's something that's very difficult. You can stand out from the noise that way because you're physically present. And if you're able to connect and extend that through online strategies, even more powerful. I mean, I, we have um, ourselves and clients, we can actually watch engagement on the ground with teams at events and see, are we engaging with the right things? Who are we speaking to? What's the nurture path next? These things connect together, but it's what, where's the point where you're going to stand out from the crowd? I think that becomes a big, that's a big consideration. And if you're sure. thinking about that, you're, you're ahead of most. Well, and, and if you're maybe organizing your model in a way that, like you mentioned earlier, is understandable, and while there may not be much new, there are certainly new ways of organizing information that can elevate a particular audience out of a stuck mental model that doesn't serve them as well as what you're offering. And uh, experiment might be what, and this, I'm learning this, through experimentation is how much traction do you need for your organized set of ideas, um, which in, in my language might be called the thought leadership model. Your organized set of ideas is going to reflect back to you in this AI world. Is it worth maybe instead of just talking very specifically to the small audience who might be your customers, instead open it up to being a leader of an industry niche aimed to get an industry publications and saying, this is how we all ought to do this. I see an opportunity to move this whole industry forward and give away your knowledge because if it's quoted in enough places, then that model would be more likely to reflect back to you. But some people <laughs> feel like they don't want to give up knowledge that way because knowledge is power, of course. You know, I'll go back to the, there's a reminder from AI, it's out there in some form, right? Mo most of the things are out there in some form. It's how do you own it? And I think, you know, you touched on a really important point in my mind, Chris, knowing your audience, right? You, and even in this conversation, you point back, what is going to be most relevant to this audience, my audience that we're speaking to? That's, that's the best place to start. And sometimes you do have opportunities to start with what's most relevant to your most important audiences and then build out from there. You know, that, that's a great way to understand just like the machines do, what is relevant, right? What is most relevant? And you have an unprecedented tool set to listen 
and understand. Uh, if there's one thing that I've learned over the years about people, we don't always say what we mean, right? So even in research and qualitative and quantitative interviews, we're usually asking in a few different ways to get to a practical truth or something that is you know, impactful and we can work with because depending on how something is asked, who's asking it, what's the context around, you may have a very different answer. So it's, it's kind of like, how well are you listening first? And then that really informs what, what's going to be most impactful to say and what you believe. I do think there's a right or wrong. There's a big value in being very genuine. You know, there is, um, sure. that, you know, along with this, uh, these technologies, the transparency element is something that's not going away. It's shaping uh, kind of newer generations. It's just expected. Um, it's something that I think, you know, uh, aging generations struggle with a bit more. And you talk about like employer branding and workplace and what are the norms with these things. Here are some things that are intensely uncomfortable that newer generations are just leaning right into. Um, and frankly, are probably, you know, better connected with the times, the way we work, what have you just like every generation before. Uh, but those kinds of things are happening faster and you might not see them as well. I mean, you know, you look at traditional productivity measures and hybrid work, many of them don't apply. And so you, you're left with these, you know, kind of statistics that don't really make sense because at the end of the day, it's people. Right? Well, how, it, how are we working? What is productivity? How does that impact sure. you know, performance of teams? What do you think about the um, playing off and of riffing off of what you're saying a little bit? The dominant paradigm, it seems, in online marketing might be push marketing, interruption by placements mm -hmm. in social media based on customer data that expects them to repeat the past. Mm -hmm. you, you talked about a pumpkin online yesterday, so we're going to put pumpkin ads in front of you. Um, as opposed to the type of insight I think you're talking about, where you get past these contrived answers. And I've seen some value in analyzing online conversations in places where people speak more openly, not in the blog post, mm -hmm. but in the comments, especially in yep. a polarizing blog. If you step on people's values, they will tell you what they are. If you step on their beliefs, you will find out what their beliefs are. Uh, and places like Reddit, where people can speak more openly and it can be anonymized and it's not so relevant. Who said what? You're not trying to track an individual. You're trying to get an insight into marketplace thinking. That's, yeah, that's a that's good example of like, you know, yeah, that's a good example. Like, what's the context around? I mean, I, I have to read the comments from my wife's articles. She, she writes articles all the time, major publications. She does not want to read the comments because for as many wonderful comments there are, there's people that, you know, who knows what baggage you're bringing to things or what your perspective oh, yeah. is. They can just be awful. And when you're a writer, um, your book or your piece is like your baby. It's so in your head. time into yeah. it. You know, you're yeah. emotionally connected to it. So criticism feels like it's criticizing you. It's, you know, oh, I, yeah. As, I get it, it, it totally. As much distance as there is, it's still very personal. But sure. um, yeah, I think I think what you're saying is is spot on. You know, when you when you think about. Um, yeah, it, it, and I if your audience it's mostly service, right? Service, service driven. And I think there's a, there's a unique quality there 
um, that's very different. I think part of my perspective, having started with the more B2C, you know, the, the example you gave, you buy a pumpkin, how many pumpkins, what's the statistics, how do we build this? It's widgets, right? It's a little different. And there are absolutely behavior and pathing and all of these things that, uh, you know, form those purchases and help you grow and scale. Great. It's less, it's more of a macro than a micro service-based when you're dealing directly with people and we're consulting and those types of things, it's less about um, a push, a sale, and more about meaningful engagement. Yes. You know, are the systems and content and communication techniques representing who you or I are as people. You know, if we're successful as people and we have something relevant to say and value to add, are these tools enhancing our ability to share that? Are they responding as we would or not? That's the goal. I mean, it's it's one of the things that's like a super challenge and also one of the reasons that like I found my professional home. I, I made my path to this place because it is in some ways so complex in, in that engagement and what that means to different audiences. There's just a, an unlimited potential for this. And it's, you know, it is um, that gap between the haves and have nots. It's not theoretical anymore. It's how you are able to leverage these tools. And I think what one of our missions as, a, as an organization is to democratize kind of enterprise level tools to, you know, whether it's solopreneurs, smaller organizations, what have you. That's a lot of the ways that we plug in for those things. Well, how and can you, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you, but you've said something yeah. really important. I don't want to lose the thread of thinking here. How, how could the solopreneur, um, the influencer, the, the founder of a small growing company best use these tools right now? If they're thinking, am I using them the best way or what could I do different? What would you recommend to them? So I think this conversation is a good place to start because the methodology and how you interpret the landscape is number one. Um, the access to these tools is just, it's unprecedented. I would say, you know, for the solopreneur starting out, especially if you're not, you know, well-versed in this technology or have the experience there, stick with well-known names and understand the policies of who you're working with. It's been fascinating to watch Adobe. You know, this has been like a 10-year play as they've been acquiring IP to feed generative AI. And now it's just starting to come online. But they have a, a responsibility and policy built into, you know, they're using their own stock image libraries for image generation. Sure. They have written content that they're using. So... That and by choosing your partner carefully or even your advisor on how to use this, that helps you use these technologies more responsibly, more impactfully. There's huge industries and you will it will be confusing. Oh, just get this plugin, magic bullet, great. If it's cheap, if it's super easy, you have to question, am I the product? Am I uh, you're like you're online? Yeah, I mean it's there is an element of that uh, that I think the entrepreneur, solopreneur has to be wary of and really think carefully about how am I using these tools and what partners am I using? Sometimes the inexpensive option is a lot more expensive or can hold you back. Uh, and I think that 
the gap between the haves and have nots, that's accelerating quickly. Um, and, you know, it's David and Goliath. Big firms look at the small and say, gosh, they can just move rapidly. The small guys look at the big firms, and, you know, it's huge resources and they've been in this space and they've been using these tools in a proprietary way. So it's carving out who you are. And I'll go back to that listening, you know, understand your audience first. What audience is most meaningful for your next step of growth and focus there? You know, what things are holding you back in your strategy for that specific audience? And think about all of the available tools and listening devices you can get in to understand how your audience is engaging with your content. That's awesome. This has been really interesting and enlightening. You certainly have a vast amount of knowledge. And as you speak of partners, I think at different types of companies, and I know our listeners are all over the map from what I understand about them, you know, have different, some might try to do it DIY and just think, how can I use chat GPT to speed up my writing? You know, and discover by trial and error that, like I said, sometimes it gives bad data. You got to be careful with that. Might misquote somebody you want to include in your article. <laughs> um, but then there's levels of partners, whether a large organization that specializes in AI, marketing organization that uses AI on your behalf. Um, and, and there's lots of different levels of intervention. And this is emerging uh, as we it's watch. It's emerging. Yeah. I mean, I've been watching uh, lately if you pay close attention to the policies that come out, um, you know, Google made a very slight policy change. It just said basically that they're not going to uh, demote, necessarily demote AI generated content in certain contexts. Interesting. Right? And do you think that they're going to maybe give a couple more points to content created by their own engines? Probably. Google would Probably. never do anything like that. No, never. I, I think, you know, <laughs> right. we, uh, we have certainly elements of capitalism, but in some ways, I think we are in, we are in this uh, phase of technological feudalism, right? These different oh, uh, yeah, faction, sure. you know, that, that's something to consider as well. It's just it's another form of listening. What's out there? What are... Uh, these organizations saying or not saying uh, that'll inform how you may use them because absolutely, you know, experimenting and trying the different things to use and give yourself the production capacity, early movers are going to have an advantage there. And it's a quickly shifting landscape. I wouldn't say don't use ChatGPT to write, but just use it smartly. <laughs> yeah. Think about use that devil's advocate make sure you're infusing the real relevancy. It's very good at, uh, just to pick on that one specifically, sounds confident, might be totally wrong. That's it right. Might, uh, it might repeat things. There are a lot of things that's where, you know, good writing, it's not a lost talent. It's, you know, you're helping this super, kind of somewhere on a spectrum co-pilot hit the target, but that can get you to the, the finish line a lot faster if it's used in the right way. Well, I see this potential for AI, like we spoke about earlier, ingesting its own content, enough AI content being out there that it ends up just being how people naturally perpetuate their own belief systems by figuring yep. out that which doesn't match them and right. focusing on what does match them so they can verify their own beliefs. And 
you know, but I, I see that's why things like what you're talking about with a visible expert who thinks outside the box and uses it as a devil's advocate or baseline thinking or thought leadership is a way to look at the paradigm. But how do we shift the paradigm in this world now where we've also got this monster re-ingesting its own stuff and perpetuating things? Um, fascinating stuff. Uh, yeah. So a couple of things to wrap up, if we can, is what would be the top three things that you'd recommend a listener who might be a marketer in some way, shape or form, definitely a leader mm -hmm. can do to further um, themselves in the world of AI. And number two, what's the best way for someone to get a hold of you if you're interested in what Hinge does or, or contacting you? Oh, absolutely. So I, I would say, let's tackle that first one. The top three, especially as an entrepreneur, balance fear and opportunity. I think that's one of the most challenging things. And the way that I'd recommend doing that is categorizing the risk, categorizing the opportunity, and start with knowing your audience, right? So what does your immediate business goal, what's midterm, what's long-term, and break out these opportunities. Be open to look at the different tools, the different opportunities. We covered a lot of ground in this conversation. Be open to it. Categorize your fear and risks as well. What, what would put me at a disadvantage, right? What things would uh, potentially get me in hot water uh, for sharing IP? Do I know how these tools are being used? Um, I wouldn't be um, daunted by not knowing things or, oh my gosh, this is so incredibly complex. How can I understand this? Because there are many experts out there um, that are sharing good information on this. So be open and learn like everybody else. I mean, even the, the covered, like the engineers themselves that have built many of these tools are still seeking to understand some of the emergent properties. So understand what it means to you first. Second, I'd say be accountable to your actions, right? It's, I think one of the biggest challenges for a smaller entrepreneur or solopreneur is just uh, discipline around how you're spending your time. So measure your efforts. Once you've done that categorization, you've taken stock of your audiences and matched that to goals, make sure you've got uh, attribution in place. I think that's something, especially in services that can feel really daunting. And I just wanna tell anyone that's listening, it is achievable more than ever before, right? It's, um, oh no, I don't get, do I get opportunities through the website? Can I see these? Absolutely, yes, you can. You just need to think through how would I connect real world activities to online? How can I uh, mirror my own engagement uh, through these systems? And how am I going to be able to measure if I'm doing what I set out to do? Because without that, you are, <laughs> you're sailing in rough seas of beige. It's very difficult to know where you are. And uh, so that, that would be my, those would be my, my top three things. Know your audience, categorize your risks and opportunities, and then stay accountable. Be disciplined with how you spend your time because there's, there's always less than you think. Um, to get a hold of me, it's, it's fairly easy. Carl Feldman with a K. <laughs> That's how I introduced myself. Carl with a K as a kid. Um, if you look Carl Feldman, you can find me on LinkedIn, X, um, just about anywhere. I got a lot of content on Hinge and uh, and other platforms, organizations, and uh, publications. Fantastic. It should be fairly findable. 
Yeah. Awesome. And to the listener, I'm going to place all these links on the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. So if you are listening in an app, there will be a link in the episode description that will have a summary of this talk and, and links to all Carl's resources. Carl, this has been enlightening and helpful and fascinating. I appreciate you and I appreciate your time. Thank you, Chris. Likewise. Great, great conversation. Covered a lot of ground. Thought Leadership Studio. So thanks again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, Strategic Thought Leadership Coach and Consultant, and this has been Episode 55, interview with Carl Feldman of Hinge Marketing, author of The Visible Expert Revolution, or co-author, I should say, exploring the intersection of artificial intelligence and marketing. I hope you found Carl's expertise and insights as helpful as I did. And if you have not yet subscribed, make sure you subscribe. If you haven't given a review, it's greatly appreciated. These things help us get reach for this message. If you haven't gone to thoughtleadershipstudio.com, the episode page includes a link to get the free Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership to help you with the building blocks of your own strategic thought leadership. So check it out. Link is in the episode description. So I'm Chris McNeil. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you at the next episode. Thought Leadership Studio.